you are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and let's get some rest. So they went away with themselves in a boat into a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them with many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of men's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit around in groups in the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve baskets of broken pieces and breads of fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. Thanks, Nate. Okay, tonight we need to talk about things that go together. So we've got a couple things that go together. Bonfires and sweatshirts. I'm sorry if you love that season of life. Tonight might be one of the last nights that we're going to do that kind of thing. It's going to change here real fast. So that's two things that go together that I love. Uh, Something else. We've all experienced this. Maybe not all. So you don't have to raise your hand. You can just know in your heart how many of these you stole out of your kid's candy dish. But yeah, chocolate and like there's just something about it. It just feels like it goes together, right? So we have that. Also, uh, you might think this is like popcorn and a movie go together. Actually, popcorn and vacuuming go together, right? That's just kind of like what that is, right? It's like impossible. Isn't that amazing? You could have like three kernels of popcorn and somehow you spill the vacuum, right? There's still this like tiny piece that falls uh, to the ground. There's this one, yes, a rainy day in coffee. It just like goes together and on the eighth day, right? That just feels like that's how that should go. This one might be a little bit sad, but we have to talk about it. South Dakota and this mess right here. We are probably going to have some blizzards over the next little while. As your pastor, I just want to tell you the truth about what you're going to experience. There are some blizzards coming. Just going to happen. I'm sorry about it. I cannot do anything to stop it. So today we're coming around this story that I think is familiar. If you have grown up in and around church, it's likely that you've heard this story where Jesus is trying to get away from 
this crowd of people, but it's like one of the things that Jesus can't do in the scriptures. Like every time he's like trying to leave the crowd behind to get somewhere else, it's like the neighbor kid in the neighborhood is like, where did you come from? Like I turn around and you're always there. I was that neighbor kid growing up. I know you're surprised. So, and then Jesus feeds like this huge crowd of people. Like, it's an amazing story. And, and what's the story about? Like, what are the things that are really going together? It's interesting in the book of Mark. Like, Mark does not use the crowds to give authority and legitimacy to the ministry of Jesus. Like, we see a big crowd somewhere, right? And we're like, oh, that must give, like, legitimacy to what's going on. There's this house in the Kenyan Park district. And at Halloween, it's where everybody wants to go. Why does everyone go there? Because they give out full-size candy bars. It gets better. They give out more than full-size candy bars. There are some candy bars with a golden ticket inside. What's the golden ticket say to that? I'll tell you. You get the money. And so what happens is there's all of these people. It's not my house. No, just so you know, some of you are like, is this? No, it's not my house. And so we're driving by 26th Street, Halloween night, big mistake. And there's all of these people around this one house. Like it gets legit. Oh, there's something, something going on, something powerful going on. It's interesting in the book of Mark, Jesus sees the crowd as an obstacle. Jesus doesn't say, oh, good, great. I've got this huge crowd that's following me. This must give legitimacy to my life, to what is going on. No, Jesus has to get away from the why? Because the crowds want to push him. The crowds want him to go to Rome and say, Hey, Caesar, your time is done. It's my time. Give me the opportunity to do Because you have had it for a long time. That's what the crowds want him to do. That's why there's this incredible scene later in the Gospels when the religious leaders, they're coming for Jesus. And the Roman soldiers are coming for Jesus. And Jesus' disciples are not encouraging of Jesus giving himself over to this group of people. One of his disciples actually takes a sword and cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And Jesus heals them then and there. In the Gospels, in the book of Mark, the crowds are an issue. The crowds don't give legitimacy to the, the ministry of Jesus. The ministry of Jesus, what he actually does, what he actually says gives legitimacy to his. Jesus is not chasing crowds because the crowds want to push him. And I don't know, maybe in the house of God tonight, you could just all say together that if that's true of Jesus, could it be true of us? If Jesus needed to remove himself from the crowd because they were pushing him in directions that he was not meant to go, could it be true for us? Could we find ourselves in crowds that want to tell us who we are? 
find ourselves in crowds who, who tell us what we should value. Find ourselves in, in crowds, like, like what the truth is. And Jesus is like, hey, I, I just want you to come away. What did he say? By yourself. Come away by yourself. To a quiet place. And get some rest. And I'll introvert the life that's my favorite part of the world. By myself. Quiet place. Quiet place. And rest. It's interesting. There's a rhythm of life with God that we see in Scripture. And it's this. Jesus will say to us again and again and again, Come to me. Come to me. In another gospel account, Matthew records Jesus saying, hey, if anybody here is tired, if anybody here is weary, like I memorized it in like King James, heavy laden, anybody in the house of God tonight, heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, to the five-year-old at invitation first, Jesus is saying, come to me. So I want to tell you who you are. I want to tell you the gifts that I've given you. And the purpose, that is the thing. So the elementary school kid to the fourth grader who wants to take something The words that are spoken on the playground are not the definitive words of life. How your parents at your conference goes is not the determinative event of your life. Come want to say to the middle school. To the twenty something. That's not the only thing. Come to me and go to them. So the idea, this is so beautiful, it's why I love Jesus so much. The idea is not just that we gather around Jesus like he's some kind of cosmic divine campfire that can warm us all up. The idea is not just that we gather around Jesus and then that's like the whole idea. So Jesus comes and Jesus gives his life and Jesus teaches his heart out for three years. The idea is not just that we would gather around Jesus, but that that gathering would produce a scattering, right? So it's come to me. So for the 74-year-old, it's like, hey, come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me. Go to them. Go to them. But, but share what I have spoken over you with another person who needs to know. So it's come to me, come to me, and go to them. So of course, rest is a part of all of this. 
because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Um, I love uh, John Mark Comer in his book called Garden City Word for Us and Art of Being Human. He says, because some of you are like, eh, funny, there's not a chance I'm reading that. Uh, so I'll read it for you because it's too small. Uh, that's why Sabbath is an expression of faith. Isn't that beautiful? Sabbath is an expression of faith. Faith that there is a creator and that he's good. We're his creation. This is his world. We live under his roof, drink his water, eat his food, breathe his oxygen. So on the Sabbath, we don't just take a day off from work. We take a day off from toil. We give him all of our fear and anxiety and stress and worry. And we let go. We stop ruling and subduing. And we just be. We remember our place in the universe so that we never forget that there is a God and I'm not here. So the rhythm of life with God comes to me. It also goes to me. And if we're simply gathering around Jesus, but we're not traveling into anybody else's story, more for us. And if we're not gathering around Jesus, we're just stepping into other people's stories, there's more for us. That as followers of Jesus, we got to go back. This is what we're called. Whether we are five years old or we are 75 years old, coming to Jesus, gathering around his name and his way. And going to the people who need to know. Who need to hear. I think it's a beautiful way of life. It's interesting in this story. Jesus can kind of get this. I'm laughing because we sort of get sassy Jesus in this scripture. Uh, because the disciples come to him and they're like, hey, so these people. There's sort of a lot of them, and we're out in the middle of nowhere. Like, we're out in the wilderness, and there's no close that, no place that's close where they could get something to eat. And there's thousands and thousands and thousands. And so the disciples are like, what do you want to do about that? And I love these, like, you people. You give me something. And it's sort of like the conversation that we have in my house about who's going to feed Diego. You feed him. We've got a nine-pound meter dog named Diego if you're new to the game. You feed him. No, I said him yesterday. You feed him. I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Like this is a moment where Jesus says, you may have not considered the fact that one of the ways that I want to work in another person's story is through you. Like you may have not considered that I actually want to use you in another person's life to answer the thing that they have been talking to me about. So it isn't just that like, oh, Jesus is going to do it. God is going to do it. Part of God's action, this is what is so beautiful about the kingdom of God. 
this is what's beautiful about the church. This is what's beautiful about Jesus. Is that we're just not bystanders. Like in a couple of weeks, our town is going to have this really, really great parade of lights thing. It's a big deal. And there's all these quotes. And the best part, yes, of course, is when you know, it gets about like halfway through and all the people with like that fire and they pull the thing. It's like, oh, it's amazing. That's our favorite part because we're freely pulled. But can I just tell you that it's possible to have a life with God like that where we're just simply watching God do stuff. And we're not involved in the stuff that he's doing. But Jesus is like, hey, come to me. And go to them. Come to me. That's all the first part. So what is this teaching? What is this reveal? Part of what we have to say, there's a thing we have to say about resting in Jesus. Um, there is something that we could struggle with on planet Earth. It's a noun that I made up. It's sort of impact idolatry. It's the constant worship of an obsession with whether you're making a big enough impact for God and whether it's being acknowledged by others. So we could build a life around that, around this like preoccupation, like am I doing enough for God? Is it enough? How much is in that account? Jesus is like, hey, again, let me just say for the people in the back, come to me. When you do that, you have the wisdom, the clarity, the understanding, and the power Go to the people that I'm putting in your path. And so we don't have to live with this like impact idolatry, this preoccupation of like, is, is what I'm doing enough? Are you are you coming to him and are you going to them? Like as a church, are we are we gathering around the way of Jesus? And are we stepping into the lives of other people? What happens if you do that as a person decade after decade after decade after decade. What's the result of that? The result of that is someday when you see Jesus face to face, a room full of people who have a whole bunch of stuff to say about how you showed up in their life and helped reveal the way of Jesus among them. That's the answer. A couple of things that this miracle speaks to. I think it speaks to God's character. Like the things that we see working together, what we see working together, we see God's power and his compassion working together. Like really beautiful in the scriptures how we see God's power. We see God's power in creation. Like there's there's chaos. The, the scriptures begin, in, in the beginning, God. And there was formlessness and there was emptiness. It's this Hebrew phrase we've talked about a lot over the last seven years. We're going to keep talking about it. Tohu wabohu, formless and empty. And God speaks into the formlessness and the emptiness and he brings order. He brings order to the chaos. 
And we see God's power in, in lifting Israel out of slavery into the land of promise. We see God's power in all of these miracles. Like helping those miracles that were walking through in the book of Mark. These people who couldn't see, these people who couldn't walk, these people who are not alive, raising them to life. It's a picture of God's power, but it's done with compassion. Because you know how this works. Sometimes it's not the thing you do, it's the heart with which you do it. Sort of different to be like, here's something. And let's be honest, sometimes that's just how the house feels. Because there's just a lot going on on a Tuesday in November. We've all been very different. To provide with compassion. And Jesus has compassion on the crowds. On the religious leaders. He's just not going to let the crowds dictate things. It's not that he doesn't like them, he doesn't love them. He's got deep compassion for them. Because no, you just don't get to drive. He's got deep compassion on the crowds and the leaders and the people who are lost. There's another gospel writer who says that when Jesus sees the crowds, he sees people who are helpless, who need him. And they're like sheep without shepherds. So this miracle speaks to God's character, both his power and his compassion. They're always working together. It also speaks to our future. That what's going to happen eventually, ultimately, you know that because of Jesus, we have a future of hope. So at the end of this miracle, all these people who are very hungry are not hungry anymore. So much so that they have basketball after basketball after basketball. And it's just a picture for this biblical idea called shalom. And it's peace within yourself. It's peace with God. It's peace with the person sitting next to you. And it's peace with the created order. That is our future, a future of fullness. We're no longer waiting. We no longer stand in need. And there's going to be a day when all wrongs will be made right. And there is going to be a day when there will be no more emptiness. And this miracle is a picture of that. There's going to be a day, like this world isn't going to be forgotten. Like this world isn't going to be just like left behind. Because like God created it. So he's not just going to leave this world behind. What is he going to do? He's going to repair it, and he's going to restore it. He's going to make sure that it reflects who he is. He, he's going to make sure that the, the, the song that the world sings is the Lord's Prayer, on earth as it is in heaven. Not, oh, I'm glad I got rid of earth so we can all be in heaven. That's not what he prays. On earth. God's not throwing it away. It's a future of fullness, and this miracle shows us. 
And then it's also a picture of our hope. It's a picture of the life that is come that when we are in a place of great need, we are also in a place of great power because of because of resurrection. So when we're in need, we're in a place of great power. This miracle speaks to God's character, speaks to our future, speaks to our hope. I don't like the band of it to close. But there's a challenge at the end of the miracle. And it's called a challenge because it's difficult. The challenge of this miracle is that the experience of God providing, the experience of God providing for you in some kind of way, will not be a comfortable experience. Like when you have some kind of financial need, and you're not really sure what next Tuesday is going to look like, the numbers aren't looking too good. That's not a comfortable experience. Even when you say, hey, I trust God to provide. When there's some kind of relational need that you have, I just like wish I just wish I had more people around me. Like waiting for God to provide is is not a comfortable experience. Like some kind of health thing, some kind of issue in your house. Like waiting for God is just not a comfortable experience. And when it comes down to it, there's really two ways to think about it. You can think about it in a five loaves and two fish mentality. Like, hey, this is like all we got. And so I don't, I don't really know that God's going to provide. I don't know he's going to come through. I don't really know. Or we can have a resurrection power mentality. Where it's like, oh, five loaves and two fish? Resurrection power mentality versus five loaves and two fish mentality. And I want to tell you a common life when I learned Not in January 2020. Not in February 2020. But in March of 2020. I learned the difference between a five loaves mentality and a resurrection. Because I don't know where you were March of 2020. But I found myself in a place of deep concern for this community. We're gathering together on a regular basis and there were many times where I wondered if we were making it on the other side of whatever craziness And I'm not telling that to you to be impressive to you. I'm saying that to you to be honest. I didn't know that we're going to make it through. 
And I learned that you can have a five loaves and two fish mentality. And you can have a resurrection power. And what helped me through that, what helped me through that time, I deeply care for this place. Deeply care. And it was deeply painful. All the stuff that was going on in our world and the worry that I had about, oh, I don't know, got like a baby church and a pandemic. Social unrest, baby church. I worry, and I wonder, and I pray, and I grieve. I also trust And that's the season of life that I learned to trust. Not comfortable to wait on God to provide. But as I stand in front of you tonight, resurrection power. Resurrection power. So I don't know how that hits you tonight. I don't know what you're in the middle of. But I would hope that even if you've read this story a thousand times, five hundred times, however many times you've heard this, you would see the resurrection power that is in this narrative in this story. And that that would stir up some confidence as his audience. And his ability to provide the financial thing that you need, his ability to provide the relational thing that you need, his ability to provide, and even if it doesn't all work out the way you want it, that in resurrection it means that death doesn't have the last word. So it means that it's not over, even if it's different than how you do it. I mean, what's more final than death? Jesus is like, uh, resurrection is more final. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.